Howdy. Happy New Year. I didn't get to see y'all last week. Um, before we jump into uh, our sermon for today, I want to pause for just a second and say thank you uh, to our volunteers uh, who've really stepped up or stepped into new positions. Uh, with our transition to two services, I, as we ended the year last year, well, technically today, today marks formally completing four months of uh, this experiment with, with two services. And I don't pay close enough attention to the numbers every week, and I'm not enough of a numbers guy to totally uh, do the math in my head. So I sat down at the, a couple weeks ago at the end of the year, and I looked at uh, last January to September, uh, and then I looked at September through the end of the year what, after we started two services. And in only four months' time, uh, we saw more than a 10% increase in attendance. And the whole reason we did this was to inconvenience ourselves to create space for those who weren't here yet. And according to those numbers, that seems to somehow be working. You're bringing people and you're inviting people, and many of you have stepped up and served. And so uh, I just want to say a big thank you. Um, we, we said it's, it's uncommon for a, a church our size to experience a 10% growth. But I say that because you might not know that because you probably don't come to both services, right? And so you're not doing the math in a service of how full was the last service, right? And so uh, I wanted to share that because you might not know. And I also want to share that because some of you still don't like it. <laughs> you're like, man, I like when the room was full. It felt better. And I like seeing everybody. And I just want to want to say to you, listen, the reason we're inconveniencing ourselves is proving itself uh, to work. And so praise God for that. And, uh, and thank you for being sacrificial in that. Um, but the more important reason we're doing this is not for numbers. It's about people, right? We, we believe that there's people all around us who need to experience life change in Jesus Christ because we believe with all of our hearts that only Jesus can satisfy the longings of their hearts. And so we think our role and our calling is to guide them to that satisfaction, to that life change in Jesus Christ. And so that's our heart as we approach this series as well about the real kind of growth, the most important kind of growth, the kind that starts on the inside. And then works its way out. The series we're calling Ten Talks. And uh, if you're not familiar with TED Talks, TED Talks uh, actually started before the Internet was actually that popular, before YouTube. But there's a TED Talk on just about anything that you can think of, just about any topic. But that's not how it started. TED Talks started just technology, education, and design, and now have been everything you've ever had a thought of. There's a, an expert giving a TED Talk uh, about whatever that issue is. And I didn't originally intend to call this series TED Talks. Uh, I'll share with you where we got this idea from. Uh, uh, we've been planning on uh, addressing the Ten Commandments during the beginning of this year for a long time. Uh, this had been the goal uh, actually for a couple of years. And so I really started studying, preparing for this about a year ago. And last summer I saw one of my brother Mark's best friends uh, who now pastors a church in Florida part of a network uh, of churches called Mana Church, um, a great church. It's a church that's called to plant churches on the military highway. Uh, so they plant churches near, near military bases. And um, so he's pastoring near a base outside of Pensacola. Uh, but I saw on social media um, that he was doing a series called Ten Talks. And I messaged him and said, hey, I'm studying for a series on the Ten Commandments. What were your most helpful resources and studying and whatever? And uh, he said, man, we'll help you out. And so they sent us all of their stuff. They created that bumper video. They made those and FedExed them to us. Um, and so I say all that to say a public thank you to Mana Church uh, and to Pastor Chris Shinnick uh, for letting us steal your idea. Because I think that's a really cool way to approach the Ten Commandments. 
The Ten Commandments have had a profound impact in the world, even in modern society around the globe. It's the moral framework for most of the known world. As a matter of fact, most of our legal code in the U.S. finds its origins, or at least the origins of the ideas, in the Ten Commandments. It's, it's the most influential top ten list ever. You remember back in the day, David Letterman had his top ten list, right? It's the one that changed the world. Uh, quite frankly, changed the world in a way that still affects us. It's the most famous list of do's and don'ts in history. And as famous as it is, and as influential as it has been, uh, researchers say that only around 14% of Americans can actually name the Ten Commandments from memory. So I didn't like to invite somebody up here right now. I'm just kidding. We're not going to put you on the spot and make you try to say them right now. Only 14% of Americans would be able to do that with a moment's notice. Uh, so what we're going to do is this week lay the framework uh, kind of for the Ten Commandments, and then we will spend ten weeks working through uh, each command. We'll take a couple breaks in there for uh, TCS Day and specifically for Missions Weekend, uh, which we're actually doing Sunday, February 9th will be our, our big Mission Sunday which is earlier than we've done it in the past. So we're trying to tell you that in advance uh, so that you begin to prepare your heart uh, for Missions Weekend. And we're doing a couple different things this year as well. Um, we're moving the, the kids, bringing in the flags and all that, to Sunday morning this year. Uh, there actually won't be a church-wide Friday night service. It's just going to be for the students with D-Now. Um, don't worry, you'll still have plenty of exposure to our missionaries. We have some other things in the works. And, of course, we're still going to have the chili cook-off because food. Um, so that part will be the same, but the rest of it's going to be a little bit different this year. Um, so all in all, this will take us about three months to work through these Ten Commandments. And I actually didn't in, intend on us spending a whole Sunday setting the stage, but as I started studying from uh, these other people a lot smarter than me, I realized that it's because I didn't understand how important the, the first couple phrases were before the Ten Commandments were given. And I told somebody before the, the early service, I said, I feel like I got my favorite box of cereal but found out there was a surprise inside, you know, when you get the toy out of the box of cereal. It, th this today, what we're going to discuss, I didn't expect to find. And uh, so really excited to share uh, the foundation as we approach these Ten Commandments. So please grab your Bible if you would. This morning, if you do not have one, uh, there is one underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, as we say each week, if you don't own a Bible, please let that be our gift to you today. Uh, but we invite you to, to join with us as we hold up our Bibles and as we say our creed together before we dive in. Here we go. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. It's page 57 if you're using one of those Bibles in front of you. you know, the significance of what we're going to explore over the next few months is really captured with this idea. Theologians say that this is the only time in the Bible that God gathers all of his people into one place to speak directly to them. And I believe that significance isn't just for them at that place and in that moment of history. I believe that means there's significance for us today. And before we even really unpack those, we start with a perspective that might seem simple, beginning in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke. It's one of those areas where God slowed me down a little bit and said, hey, that's supposed to be meaningful. Verse 1 begins, and God spoke. 
And if we're the followers of God, the people of God, when we see those words, I think we're supposed to lean in and go, okay, I'm listening, right? God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What we're going to do this morning, uh, the first half of our time together this morning, is we're going to ask four questions that I believe this text answers. We're going to ask and answer those questions to help set a framework, and then we'll unpack the significance of those four questions and those four answers. And the, the first one is, is the question we have to ask every time God speaks. Who is he again? Let's remind ourselves, who is he? He is Lord. He is Lord. He is specifically the Lord. And, and I know you've heard me say this before, but in case somebody among us is, is new to the Bible, anytime you see in an English Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, what's actually written in the text there is the personal name of God, Yahweh. Maybe you've heard somebody try to translate that Jehovah. It's the name that just a little while ago in this story, God gave to humankind for the first time ever from a burning bush when he told Moses to lead the exodus. Moses said, well, who am I supposed to say sent me? What's your name? And he responded, I am. I am who I am. He is. And the fastest growing religion in the United States today is the religion of people who don't think there's a religion. It's the religion of people who aren't sure there's such a thing as God. And what I want to say this morning very lovingly is, listen, God is whether we acknowledge him or not. He is who he says he is, whether we're ready to believe in him, whether we're sure he exists. Listen, he is. And he doesn't need our affirmation to be. He is. And I also believe he's not impatient with us while we're trying to figure that out because he is. He's not insecure about whether or not we acknowledge him or believe in him because he is. And he is in the kind of way that he always has been and always will be. That's how is he is. And really what he's saying to his people is, I am, I am. That's a lot of am, right? That's how much he is. He's God. And because he's God, the English translators chose to use the word Lord because they thought Englishmen would understand the importance of that word. But we don't use that word in our culture anymore, right? I'm the Lord of the manor. Right? And your wife's like, no, you're not. Cut the grass. <laughs> you know, like we don't use that language anymore. But you know what it means? It means he's boss man. He's in charge. He's authoritative. He is God. And the reason that's significant is because if we're going to reject his laws, that means we're rejecting the lawgiver. And that has eternal consequences. We'll talk more about that a little bit later this morning. Who is he? He is. He's Lord. And then we ask this question, who are they? And I love the beauty of this answer. They're his. Because he's not just the Lord God. He's the Lord our God. Man, that's good news. Whew. Could a little word make a bigger difference? Because he is God. But in his grace, he's come to his people. And he's revealed himself. 
And he's created a path to have a personal relationship with him so that he's not just some far removed away dictator who's barking out his commands. No, he's our God. First Peter, uh, the, the Apostle Peter uh, writes in the book of, of First Peter, he says, man, we're his chosen people. A people for his own possession. That's the reason he brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light is so that we could be his. And maybe you've been called a lot of things in the last week. And I just want to tell you, every father of Jesus in the room today, here's something else you are. You're his. There's nothing you can do to shake that off. There's nothing you can do to lose that. There's nothing you can do to mess that up. That's the beauty of his grace. We're his. We're his. And the whole point of these commands are because you're mine, I expect that that my path is better for you because you're mine. I've got this list of instructions where you'll walk different. You'll look like my people. Where your life will be set apart because they're his. Now we ask the question, where are they? And the answer is out of Egypt. Which might seem obvious or maybe just historical, but it's significant, friend. Because what that means that these commands are not saying is, hey, get it all right, and then I'll deliver you. No, they're already out of Egypt. God is not saying, if you follow my rules, then you'll be rescued. No, God's saying, you were stuck, and I've already rescued you. So now walk in this way. He's already set us free. He's already brought us home. We trust him, right? Which is totally different. They're not in Egypt anymore. It's the message of God. I know you're stuck and you can't get out of your situation, right? See, the people of God were stuck in famine as a family. And God, through a beautiful sovereign plan, through one of their their sons, Joseph, rescues them from famine. They come to Egypt. Well, then they end up threatening, as their family grows, the Pharaoh, and he enslaves them. And their cry reaches the ears of God after hundreds of years. And he, when they're stuck, delivers them. Through supernatural signs and wonders, through the plagues, he delivers them. But then they find themselves stuck again. Now they're stuck between a great body of water, the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army who's pursuing. God parts the waters. They walk across on dry ground, only to find themselves stuck again. They're hungry. God drops manna from heaven and feeds them. And then they end up stuck again because now they're thirsty. And God makes water come from a rock. And later they'll be stuck because they literally don't know where to go. They have no GPS and he'll send a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Because the message is not if you do good, I'll deliver you. It's you're always stuck apart from me. Just trust me. (laughs) Just follow after me. Not be a good boy, be a good girl, and then you'll be okay. No, you're mine. I've already made you mine. And I've already delivered you from Egypt. Which means we have the answer to the final question. And this is huge. Who is he? He's Lord. Who are they? They're his. Where are they out of Egypt? So what does that mean? What are they? They're free. They are out of the house of of slavery they're not working to get free god is saying i already got you out of egypt now i'm trying to get egypt out of you 
I've already freed you. I want you to live like you're free. I'm, I'm teaching you how to live as the free people of God. Here's how to stay free. Here's how to live free. Because you're my people. This past Christmas, our middle son got a, a record player for Christmas. And he's been listening to this older music. And it's been like weirdly nostalgic, you know, hearing these older songs. And, and what it sparked for me is the songs of, of my coming up years, which were the hair bands of the 80s and 90s, right? And so I, I've been reminded of these songs that I haven't introduced the boys to. And I'm like, hey, listen to this song. Don't Google the artist and look at their life. <laughs> but listen to this song, right? Don't model any of your behavior after that. But this is a great song. And, and one of those musicians that I, that I love, man, that just brings up so many memories is John Bon Jovi. And so just recently I've listened to, for the first time in a while, the song, It's My Life. And, and I hate to break it to him. But no, it's not. It's his. And he knows best what to do with it. That's why he's given us a path to walk in. I've made you mine, I've rescued you, and I've set you free. And these commands are how you can live in the enjoyment and the flourishing of freedom. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to to write this down. The Ten Commandments aren't rules about how to get out of Egypt. They're instructions for liberated people to remain free. Following the law is not about getting free. It's about living free. Remaining free. We've already been liberated. This is why we have the law of God. You know, it's, this second book of the Bible here, Exodus, is, is a collection of, of five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These five books are called the book of the law. Because scholars say that 68.5% of these five books are laws. Matter of fact, they counted them. There's 613 of them. What the Ten Commandments are is this condensed summary of those 613 commands. Jesus would summarize that even more into two commands later. We'll talk about that next week. Um, but but this, this collection of these 613 commands are in the book of the law. As a matter of fact, the, the, the very word Deuteronomy means, here's the law again. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Greek word. Deuteros means repeat or again. And namos is law. More law again, right? That's what these five books of law are. And here's, here's the moment of honesty. How many of you aren't excited about the law? <laughs> I don't like the law. I don't like to be told what to do. I, I think the mantra of, of like what should really be on our dollar bills is not in God we trust. It should be you're not the boss of me. <laughs> like that's America, man. We're free. We don't, we don't like to be accountable and, and to have law. If I were to get up this morning and say, hey, here's the deal. 2020 has introduced uh, a whole new set of IRS tax codes. And so we're going to spend 10 weeks uh, reading through the fine print of these tax codes and discovering the implications for life from those tax codes. How many of you would join me in staying home for those 10 weeks, right? That does not sound very exciting. Like, we're going to discuss best practices for accounting. for the next... I'm out. Thank you. We don't enjoy that, right? That doesn't sound exciting. And, and part of the struggle is the word law is just a difficult word for us. In the Hebrew, it was the word Torah. And Torah 
we've struggled with translating into English. And I don't think law is a bad translation. The problem is law just has bad implications for us, right? Many of us in this room do not consider ourselves rule followers. Am I right? And most of us married a spouse who is a rule follower, and it drives us crazy, right? Marisa is a rule follower. Just tell her what to do. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, no. (laughs) It's just naturally... Many of us are just not rule followers. They're rule suggestions, you know what I mean? We don't like law. When we think of law, we think of IRS tax codes, or we think of, like, uh, a code enforcement, or we think of speed limits. You know, like, we, we think of those things. When the fact is, I don't think that's the heart of Torah. One of the ways we see the difference between our perception of law and the biblical perception of Torah is by the fact that it's used by King Solomon in the book of Proverbs. A loving father who has sat down to speak words of wisdom to his children so that they'll flourish, so that they'll be blessed. And he begins the book of Proverbs saying, listen, my son. Give me your ear and hear my Torah. And that just sounds better, doesn't it? (laughs) Then here's the law. And, And that really is the heart difference. This comes from the Father heart of God. Which is vastly different than often how I think we think about the Ten Commandments. And here's the distinction. Rules from a dictator mean control. And when we mess up, punishment. But rules from a father, from a good father, from a loving father, their love and their care for our journey. And when we mess up, there's grace and restoration. That's the difference between, I think, the religious or stale approach to these Ten Commandments versus the heart of a loving God. This comes from a good father. Many of us have had to sit down with our kids at times And have those conversations. The ones where you pull them close and kiss them on the forehead and say, Man, I love you and I I am more for you than any human being alive. I'm more for you than you are for you. I want so bad for you to enjoy God's best. And for that to happen, we've got to establish some boundaries here. This is what God is doing. He's gathered His people to Mount Sinai to have a family talk. He's sitting down saying, I love you, and I want what's best for you. So hear my heart about your path. If we misunderstand the lawgiver, we'll misunderstand the law. We'll disconnect the law from the lawgiver, which is what the Pharisees did. That's why they loved the law but didn't love the Lord. Is they somehow blurred the law And the lawgiver. When we do that, we wonder if God really is good or is he just a set of rules that we know we can't uh, follow perfectly and live up to and meet expectations. Is he just removed from us or is he present? Is he waiting to punish us or does he want us to flourish? Probably the best analogy that that I heard is I, I was thinking about the Father of Heart of God relating to the Ten Commandments here is the idea of a fence. Our our grandparents' uh, home up in Pennsylvania uh, backs right up to a major, really busy interstate. I think it's six lanes, three on each side, um, busy uh, uh, highway. Uh, 
And so the state actually came in several years ago and built a concrete wall between their yard and that crazy traffic. And that wasn't built out of punishment for living there. It was built out of goodness. In the same way that a loving father builds a fence in a backyard so that his kids can play free and safe. And I love what Driscoll said. He said, every one of God's laws is just another plank in the fence of God's goodness. When we see these healthy instructions, we're reminded that our Father loves us and desires what's best for us. And that we're free. Not free to jump the fence and do our own thing. We can do that, but we have to face the consequences. We can be free to enjoy His goodness. And I want you to hear this, friend. Here, this is one of the distinctives that separates the Christian faith from every other religion that has ever existed in the history of humankind. I want you to hear me. One of the things that makes this teaching so upside down and crazy is here's what we believe. Salvation is not our, our reward for obedience. Salvation is our reason for obedience. Man, we don't do good so that God will be like, all right, I'll accept you. No, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we're accepted. And He's earned our trust that His heart is good. So we're going to follow Him and trust His ways. We're going to follow after Him in obedience. See, here's the thing. God actually never expected us to perfectly keep His commands. The Apostle Paul, after the cross, said... The reason God gave us the law was to show us we needed somebody outside of us to save us from us. You see, the people of God at this time in history thought that all of their problems were outside of them. And God had to show us that our biggest problem is inside of us and not outside of us. And when he showed that to us, he then sent to us his son who obeyed all the commands. He lived obediently for us. And then, because of that, he was able to die sacrificially for us. And then, he rose triumphantly for us. The scriptures say that he's currently praying for us. He has sent his spirit to us so that now we can finally walk in the path of God. And submit to him. Trust him. The heart of a father who loves and cares for his children because it's done. If, if we think of, of a timeline of history here, if, if here we have Mount Sinai and the, the giving of the Ten Commandments of God, and then we have the cross of Jesus Christ, His, his resurrection, his, his new life in Him, and now we have ourselves here some 2,000 years after the cross, these ten weeks what we will do is we will look back at these commands of God through the transparency, through the watermark of the cross, knowing it's already paid, knowing it's already done, knowing somebody already obeyed on our behalf, (laughs) our obedience will never be like his obedience. But we believe because of the cross, there's grace. There's a loving father who picks us up and carries us forward. The law is no longer a burden. We live in the freedom of grace. 
So what these next few weeks are not about us white-knuckling to try harder to do better. It's about us calling out to God and saying, hey, you're the only one who ever got this right. I need your power. I need your spirit. I need to trust you more. I'm going to love you more. Work in me. I want to trust that your fence was built for a reason. It's best for me. Which is so counter to religious thinking. Here's the way that every religion in the world operates. Religious thinking says, if you obey my commandments, I will love you. If you obey my commandments, I will love you. You better get it right, or else it'll be the opposite. You'll experience my wrath. But Jesus, in his beautiful upside-down kingdom, is so different. That on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is what's going to happen to my body on your behalf. He took the cup and poured it out and said, this is what will happen to my blood. It will be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins because I love you. And then he put a towel around his waist and the Son of God in the flesh humbled himself and got down and washed the feet of his disciples. Most people believe it's as he's washing their feet. As he has said, I'll love you enough for my body to be broken for you. I will love you enough to shed my blood for you. I love you enough to serve you. He then says, if you love me, obey my commandments. Not if you obey, I'll love you. No, that's done. It's sealed. I'm displaying it for you. I'm serving you. And if you respond by loving me, then trust me then trust that my path is worth following. If you really believe I love you, then follow after me. And the beauty of of this, you know, we've broken the Bible up into these verses, and this is a terrible place for a, a verse break, because he then says, and, meaning he was in the middle of a thought, I'll ask the Father and he will send a helper to you, meaning the Holy Spirit. He knows we've always needed him to follow him, so he's giving us a piece of him to dwell within us so that we can follow after Him. This is crucial. Because if we just jump into these Ten Commandments and we ignore the deliverance of God and the freedom given to us by God and the the cross of Jesus Christ, if we ignore all that, we'll end up reading these Ten Commandments the same way that Islamists would. We'll read these Ten Commandments through the, the same lenses that A Jewish man or woman would. Moralistic and political. We'll read it the way, quite frankly, that our Jehovah's Witness friends or our Mormon friends and many of our Catholic friends would read this. That this is the list of you better. We believe the cross displays that there's something way more at work than that here. It's finished. So trust me. Is his message to us today as we walk through these commands. What I encourage you to do is to ask yourself this question this morning. Do I love him enough? Do I trust him enough to follow his instructions? Not will I follow his instructions to get something, to earn something, to be worthy of something. No, because he's already counted me worthy, because he's already poured out his grace on me, because he's already raised me from death to life. Do I love him? And trust Him. Follow Him.
Because I believe that's the path of life. I believe he has demonstrated himself to be worth trusting, worth following, worth loving with all of our hearts.